the music too. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another Chit Chats. I am here with RJ Ronquillo. Hey, RJ. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Good day, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. I've been wanting to have you on the show um, pretty much since I met you in um, in Germany at 42 Gear Street. I know. I can't believe it was so long ago. Time has gone quick, hasn't it? I know. Yeah. This year, I, I bet this year is going to go by fast. It already has, man. Already has. So for those who don't know, RJ is one hell of a guitar player. Um, I had not heard of RJ until I had to go to uh, 42 Gear Street in Germany. And I actually sold my Friedman app to fund the plane ticket because Australia's a hell of a long way. Um, and the guy that bought it got talking to him and it turned out his nephew was a pretty famous uh, gaming YouTuber. And he sort of was going on about it. And he was a guitar player, obviously. He bought my Friedman amp. And he, he was going on about this YouTuber that he's really into named RJ. And I sort of... No way! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. So I um, I had a look at my, my itinerary and went, funny, funny you should mention that, man. The guy that I meet up with at the airport, I'm meeting up with RJ. And uh, yeah, so he was, a, he was a big fan straight up. And he was going on about your playing and he just saying about if all the guys out there doing it, that you're straight to the point, your playing is on point, and that, yeah, you were his favorite YouTuber. So, oh, um, I wonder if he's in the chat today. He That'd may be crazy be. if he was. He <laughs> may be. Um, who have we got in the chat? We've got some friends of yours by the looks of it. Matthew Delahunt. Matthew, yes. Steve Roberts. G'day from the Gold Coast. Another Gold Coaster. Uh, RJ, Gabor's, you are Gabor's one of the best cats here. on the YouTube from Steve Roberts. I agree with that. Uh, Thank you, Steve. Hey, I was wondering if you have ever tried the new Magnetone M80 Super 59 heads. We'll have to get into some gear, gear talk in a second. Just seeing who else is here. I am. Super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show. <laughs> Gabor. Is that? <laughs> That's Gabor. <laughs> yeah. I can't get past that name. <laughs> he's in the future too he is he's not far from me mate he's only about an hour or two north drive from me um, oh wow yeah yeah so we so. both gig in brisbane which is halfway in between so um we did cross paths once before germany but oh cool rj i wanted to ask you man what got you started in this crazy six string journey well and I love telling this story because it's absolutely true and it's absolutely funny, but it was the movie Back to the Future. Cool. So my first guitar hero was Michael J. Fox because I didn't know any. I mean, I knew, obviously, but it was kind of his performance in that movie and those scenes that kind of got me into like, oh, that's so cool, blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of like at the it came at the appropriate time I was maybe like nine years old and I got into skateboarding and I got into guitar playing because of that movie. So skateboarding eventually went along the wayside and I st stuck with guitar, but that was kind of like the catalyst for me really getting into, into music and guitar players. So I got into Chuck Berry and some, someone was asking me in the chat, like who are my uh, early heroes? And I said, Chuck Berry and then Clapton then Santana, Hendrix, and then it was the 80s, so Van Halen and Satriani and Vi and everything. So that was kind of the order that I went into. Cool. So, 
That sounds very familiar. You must be of a similar age to me because I can remember Back to the Future coming out just when I started to play guitar and that scene of the big speaker and blowing away and then trying to learn Chuck Berry licks uh, at that age. And you you nailed it when you said Van Halen, Satriani, Vi, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like the, the perfect time, you know, the 80s because a lot of the movies that were coming out and a lot of stuff that was on TV... I felt I feel like I was bombarded way more then with with music and guitarists on screen than I than now, obviously. Totally. So, totally. I mean, that was a golden era, wasn't it? Um, I actually spent the last couple of nights. I've been a bit sick the last couple of days. I ate something I shouldn't have, so I've been oh, sitting no. around moping about watching old '80s guitar instructional videos. <laughs> and uh, once you get past the hair. <laughs> The hair on some of these people is absolute classic. Um, but yeah, the whole shred thing was really in people's faces, but not so much just shred, just guitar playing in general. It's just not in people's faces anymore like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just in a different way. I mean, now we have YouTube and Instagram. Mm. So depending on, you get to choose if it's in your face or not now. Very true, very true. And I think the playing is probably better than ever would you agree like kids now have got access to that oh yeah and from a young age man i see some kids on there there's a young australian kid um taj um can't think of his last name have you seen him a young kid with the, the dreadlocks and stuff Mm-mm. oh man um fantastic player like he's not good for a kid there's a lot of people that you see and you go oh he's great for a kid now close your eyes this guy's just great and then you look and you yeah. go Oh, and you're a kid? Yeah, yeah. So, That's even worse. Yeah, so I think it's really cool that um, YouTube has opened up the door and you can basically learn all that stuff. I'm going back and all those videos that I didn't have access to when I was trying to yeah. learn, it's all there now. Yeah, I like all that Paul Gil- all the Paul Gilbert intense rock videos. and yeah. Because if you think about it, the VHS videos back then, even in the 80s, were like, at least in the States, I remember them being like 50 or $60, yeah. which was expensive for a VHS cassette mm-hmm. in the in the 80s. So well, I never, I think I maybe got one and it was dumb because it didn't come up with a booklet. But um, yeah, it's a lot cheaper now. It's free. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think I saw somewhere along the way you mentioned that uh, the John Petrucci uh, video, or was it a book that you? Well, I had the book. I didn't even know there was a video. Um, so when I was in college, I was at the music store and I bought the book and just kind of went through some of the exercises in the beginning. I didn't even learn the stuff in the book or you know the actual stuff. I just went through the exercises and these were great exercises. Absolutely, absolutely. Now I, I did mention before that. Um, I, I didn't wasn't aware of you before I, I went to Germany, um, and recently I saw the video of you jamming with Tim Pierce and a bit of a breakdown on a, on a solo of yours and yeah, it's fantastic. But he mentioned on there that um, you guys both played on a Santana record together, and it just daunts me that I don't know too much about your playing history and who you've played for. So do you care to, to share some of the stuff you've done in the yeah. over years? All right, get strapped in. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, so um, after high school, 
I went to college for music uh, in Miami, Florida. So I, I studied jazz uh, at the University of Miami. After I graduated, I stuck around and really all I did was kind of play gigs, cover band stuff, wedding bands, whatever gigs. Um, and so I was making a living just playing locally and playing, you know, four nights a week. Um, and it was fine. And then eventually it kind of, I met the right people and I started getting called for session work, um, which is where that, the, the Santana thing, which I'll talk about in a, in a second. But, um, and then from there, just meeting more of the right people and, and getting asked to do uh, little tours with like Latin artists in town. And uh, so there was a point where I was doing like session work and touring and it was great. Um, and, you know, just um, kind of catapulting into different tours. Eventually I moved from Miami to Los Angeles to try something new. Um, did a little bit of touring there and did a little bit of gigging around town. Nothing, it wasn't uh, as spectacular as some other people's experiences in LA was. So eventually left LA, moved to, to, uh, to Chicago actually for a second, but I was working in Nashville. So uh, I was kind of commuting between Chicago and Nashville and eventually settled in Nashville. Um, did the touring thing for a couple, about five years. And then, uh, just last year was my first, uh, year as a full-time YouTuber, which is very exciting. Um, and, uh, that's where we are. Cool. Cool. So you said full-time YouTuber, um, you're making a, a keep just from doing that then. Yes, I did. I think I did one paid gig last year. Okay. Okay. It's funny. That was the only one I did, yeah. agreed to. <laughs> yeah, right. I, it's funny. I've gotten a bit sick of doing the cover band gigs myself over the years. Um, there's a big difference between playing shows where you're just an afterthought in front of a big screen. Everyone's trying to watch the, the football um, uh. as opposed to people paying money to come and see you. I still do those kinds of gigs. Um, there's a show that comes up when they're in, they come to my state. I play guitar for them. And it's a bunch of... Um, 80s rockers Australian legends that I grew up listening to on the radio um, so a couple of times a year they'll head up this way anything else the cover band thing no bit sick of it and I've been trying to get to being a full-time YouTuber myself and man you yeah it's hard though because I mean it's it's kind of easy money depending on the gig right so it's it's like it's hard to give up that uh, security totally totally now, I mean, you are immensely popular on YouTube. Um, was it a hard slog to get that way or did it take off fairly quickly for you? Was there a, a certain video that broke it for you that went viral or how did all that work for you, mate? Yeah. So with the whole YouTube thing, I kind of gradually fell into it by accident. Um, the first work that I actually did on YouTube was for Eastwood Guitars. And the story with that was, um, I don't know if I have that guitar here, but there was a guitar, this guitar right here, which I had been eyeing on their website. And um, I wanted to get a discount. Like every other musician, you, you try to get it for cheaper. So I asked about getting an artist discount. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I wasn't really touring. So I said, hey, why don't I do a, a demo video on the guitar? And uh, I'll give it to you guys and you can post it, whatever. So that kind of um, 
broke me into the whole gear demo thing. So from there, they just kept on sending me guitars. And the the good thing about Eastwood, and I know some of the people here in the chat have some Eastwood guitars, is they constantly put out new models of guitars. They only make like a short run of different models, mm-hmm. but they constantly put out some crazy models. So it was good for me because I was constantly getting work from that, um, which you can't really say that with all guitar companies. Sometimes guitar companies only release one or two models a year sure. if that, if that. Yep. so i got lucky with that but um eventually i got more traction on youtube over the years i mean this was a period of maybe three or four years that i was just doing it part-time and not really paying attention to what youtube was in fact all of the videos i did for them were are on their channel okay. I, I had no i didn't know that i should keep it on my channel and start getting ad revenue from it or whatever so that's what it is now that's fine but um, I eventually got my name out and other companies would call me and um, email me and ask me to do demo stuff. Um, so for a long time, I was touring. And when I had time at home, I was doing demo work for pedal companies and guitar companies. Um, and then where was I going with this? <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Uh, how, you could, how you got a bit of a, a kickstart on YouTube. Sure. So basically all I was doing was gear demo stuff and between the gear demos, I I kind of experimented with putting out like guitar lesson videos. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, you can see some of my first ones that I'm like really awkward because I'm like really, I was really shy at talking on camera and everything. It's hilarious. But everyone, every new YouTuber kind of goes through that phase. So I did the lesson stuff and then one day or one no one year you know i started getting more into youtube and watching vloggers like casey neistat and and all those guys so i got really into his his um cinematography and his style so um i wanted to try to do a vlog and you know i was still a touring musician then i'm like why don't i just do a vlog on what it's like being not only a touring musician but a nashville touring musician because that is a certain type of touring musician that's totally different than LA guys or, or what New York guys or whatever. Um, so I did that video and that kind of, I feel like it got more views than any other video that I had done. And that was kind of my aha moment. Like, okay, I can kind of do this. It's, uh, it's, you know, the audience is growing. I think I can, uh, get into it, but I continued for another year after that of touring. Um, might have been actually another two years after that of touring um, before I said, hey, my YouTube stuff is I'm getting more work as a YouTuber and I have the potential of uh, making just as much as if I were touring still. So, um, yeah, I just kind of pulled the plug on touring uh, at the end of 2018. And uh, it's been great so far. Cool, cool. Now, how long would you say you spend on each video? Like if you were to do a fully produced um, product demo on something, like just saying an amplifier. Mm-hmm. How long would that take, typically take you? Well, okay, so the gear demo stuff is usually the quickest um, as far as like planning, shooting, and editing. Um, pedal demos for me are super easy because once I have everything set up, I can just kind of swap out pedals, swap out pedals, and cool. and just, just go with it. Yep. Um, usually, I mean... The past two weeks, ever since Nam, I've been like 
bogged down with so much work, which is great. But I try to do at least one video or two videos. So I, I'm probably like a lot of YouTubers that batch um, stuff. So like I'll t take one day and film a bunch of uh, content, film a bunch of demo videos, and then I'll take another day and edit it all cool. and stuff. Okay. But I kind of measured it, and I can probably do two full videos a day. That's from start to finish, you know, recording it and editing. Wow, wow, cool. So I've tried three, and I've done three in a day, but it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, I'm going to admit, I, I don't watch much of your stuff because – I'm intimidated by you. I'm intimidated, intimidated by you and you're playing and you're, you're how, how natural you are. Um, I don't watch many other guitar YouTubers, um, which is really funny. Uh, you'd think I'd be watching them constantly. Most guys, it's because they just talk too much and I just, it's like, man, get to the bloody point. Uh, but I fascinate a lot. Yeah, you're one guy that I've come across and it's just like, yep, great player, straight to the point. I can't watch this guy because I'll never... Do it myself. Uh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm getting over that. I take a lot longer, but I kind of write, I write a tune specifically. I'm going to get into just playing over backing tracks um, using Tom's elevated jam tracks. That's what I do. I do that a lot. Like if I'm in a pinch, yeah. uh, I mean, I try, if I have time, I try to make my own backing tracks and they're usually pretty simple couple vamps. Yep. You know, they're not like, super produced but um sometimes if i have a deadline and it's a, a, a piece of gear that i could just kind of jam to i'll I've, I've bought like two or three of tom's uh packs cool, cool. Uh, jam packs he gave me one at 42 gear street but then i bought a couple other ones yeah, so yeah um they're great absolutely absolutely and it was a real spin out to meet tom if anybody doesn't know who we're talking about there's if you type in backing track into yes. youtube 90% of what comes up is from a channel called Elevated Jam Tracks. And yes. that is Tom. He's a, a lovely chap, uh, English English guy. Um, he's rather shy. He doesn't like having his face on camera. But, um, man, he's the man when it comes to backing tracks. And yeah, yeah. I'm going to start doing that for pedals and the like um, just to try and get things out there a, a, a bit quicker. Mm -hmm. because yeah i take way too long <laughs> <laughs> now rj i um i wanted to ask you uh about your approach to the fretboard mate because mm -hmm. you're such a great guitar player you mentioned that you you're schooled you went to university and studied uh which i'm about to do actually I, i'm about to do a bachelor of contemporary music starting next week oh nice congrats oh, thanks mate um but I wanted to ask you about your approach to the fretboard because everybody's very different with how they see the fretboard. What's your approach, mate? Do you have many different approaches or is there a particular method that you like to use? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I do a couple different approaches. If you're talking about, uh, let's say, soloing or improvising yeah. maybe. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, I, I think I, I don't have any like secrets. It's kind of like what a lot of people do where like, you know, I know my modes. I know my triads and arpeggios and patterns. Okay. And I, I, I mean, that's kind of my basis. I kind of go from that. And I obviously I have a, a bunch of stock licks that I kind of go to my go to licks, you know, yep. that I'll I'll probably start out with that when I start a solo. 
Um, and then kind of like as the solo goes along, I kind of, if I'm lucky, I get into a, a zone where I'm getting really creative and mixing up things that I've never tried before or plus, you know, the stuff that I already know that I know is safe. Yep. Um, but I don't know, you know, I haven't, it's weird cause I haven't, uh, really analyzed my, my soloing style. Other people have, which is, which is great. Yeah. Like people, I've seen people transcribe my solos, which is amazing to, to see. Yeah. Um, but I never really sat down and, and analyzed like the actual transcription and be like, Oh, so that's what I did here. But I, I kind of, I like to use a lot of, uh, pentatonic stuff, yep. which doesn't, you know, a lot of people think, oh, pentatonic means minor pentatonic blues scale, but really pentatonic is just a five note scale of anything. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll, I'll sometimes do a lot of, the, you know, five note scales because the I like the, the spread of the intervals compared to like a regular mode, sure. you know, with holes, whole steps and half steps. Yep. Where with pentatonics, you have whole steps and minor thirds and all that stuff and major thirds. So it's a more interesting, you kind of have, uh, more interesting shapes and patterns with pentatonics. Um, I do a lot of uh, like triads and arpeggios. Okay. Yep. One thing I don't do a lot of is a lot of linear scalar playing. You know, up and down the scale type sure, of stuff. Sure. Sure. Unless I'm doing something like a shreddy line, that three notes per string type of thing. Yep. Yep. But I like to have I like wider intervals. Yep. I guess. Cool. Is what I'm cool. trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Um, and you're right. The, the whole three note per string thing does have a sound about it. It's very good and very fluid, but the mm -hmm. wider intervals, it's a nicer sound. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, you think of like like Eric Johnson and, and um, I mean, I could say Alan Holsworth. I can't play like Alan Holsworth, but that's kind of more interesting now and then. Yep. But I mean, my, my style of playing is very blues-influenced and blues-based, yep. so... Even if I'm playing like a Latin fusion tune, I'll make sure I throw in some sort of BB King lick in there yeah, or something yeah. like a. So I like to mix my styles, and I think most people that have seen my videos can see that I can. I like to mix things like blues, metal, Latin jazz, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Just because that's kind of my my taste in music is so all over the place, which is kind of a bad thing sometimes. So, not necessarily, um, not necessarily. Yeah, I'm trying to like condense everything that I like in my playing, I which is... I think that's what makes somebody unique though, is to get all those different influences and put it together. Yeah, um, yeah as much as I play guitar, I spent a long time not being a guitar player and being into electronic music production. Um, mm -hmm. I worked in radio as a producer and stuff and sort of, so the whole... Pro Tools and electronic thing was my world for a long time. And somebody that really uh, pricked my ear was Skrillex when he came out because I'd never heard anything like it. And then when I read about his influences, it was like, oh, yeah, his parents listened to Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails, but he also um, sang in punk bands and, and just the, the mesh of it all just sounded like him and it was like nothing else. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Having bring all those influences together, I don't see as a as a bad thing at all. Yeah, I mean, it's you know what the, the hard thing is, or the hard thing that the hardest part is, um, 
trying to find the perfect mix of all the styles that I like, as opposed to, you know, just playing, you know, blues licks over a fusion track or something, or, you know, it's, it's finding, trying to find my style, you know, knowing that I have all these influences and that's, that's been the hardest part. And I think I, I think I kind of touched on that when I was speaking to Tim Pierce was, um, right now is when I'm finally getting into my personality as a guitar player and finding my style, cool. which is like been, gosh, like 30 some years <laughs> in yeah. the making. Yeah. So speaking of that, that little segment that, uh, that Tim featured you on, uh, when he analyzed your playing, did that bring to light things that you weren't aware of? I, I know first, one of the first things that I noticed he mentioned was that you were using uh, themes or motifs. And that's something I, stumbled on a few years ago um in repeating things it's like constructing a sentence and not just playing random stuff but finding a nice little motif and then doing variations of it are you aware that you're doing things like that or um i yeah a lot of a lot of times it's intentional and it's funny we were talking about the old 80s instructional videos and one of my earliest memories was i i got a compilation video for the uh, Starlix videos, yeah. and because it was like that wasn't fifty dollars, it was like twenty dollars. And there was a section with Larry Carlton, um, and the he was talking about uh, having like a theme, yep. and like um, going off of that theme and and building licks upon that theme. Yep. And back then, when I was a kid, I had no idea what the heck he was talking about. Yep. Like I, I heard it, but I'm like, how do you do that? Where does that come from? Yep. And now I, I think about it all the time. Like when I'm starting a solo, I'll think about that Larry Carlton uh, snippet where he just kind of plays like three notes yep. and then plays those three notes and then adds like two notes and stuff. So I'll kind of do that a lot. But it's funny because I think about Larry Carlton when yeah. I'm doing that. Man, me crazy. too. Because it was a Larry Carlton video that I saw about – three, four years ago um, on Truefire. Okay. um, Yeah, it was one of those things. I played a a show not long after I'd I'd seen this um, with a friend of mine I've been playing with on and off in bands with for 30 years. He's heard my bag of tricks. He knows how I play. And the Mm. first time I ever tried this whole motif thing with him and I played a little bit and then did a variation of that, he pretty much stopped playing his bass, threw his hands in the air and just went... Oh, fuck, how was that? <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, I could sit here and try and go, blah, 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 and he was just like, yeah, I've heard it a million times. But when I tried that, he just, it floored him. He was like, oh, man, I'm like, oh, okay, this has some merit. And it's something I've yeah. tried to be aware of ever since. Um, so when Tim Pierce brought that up about your playing, I just thought, hello, I wonder where we got that from. And we both got that from Larry Carton. Yeah, that's crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Like I say, I say it's intentional, but now that I think about it, it's not intentional until I decide to go off of a certain lick that I'll play. So I'll be, I'll play a lick just spur of the moment, and I'll quickly decide, oh, that's a cool lick. Mm. Let me, let me vamp, let me kind of riff on that a little bit and see what comes up. Yeah, yeah. In case so, people aren't aware of what we're talking about, uh, what Larry said to do was. Basically, before you take your solo, listen around to the band because somebody's going to be playing something really cool. Just say somebody, you know, the keyboard player goes, ban, and then you go, thank you. I'm going to take that and I'm going to go, ban, and then I'm, 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 
Wow, what a great way to open up the doors of inspiration, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay. I, I, I'm coming from the same place as RJ. Yes. Yes. <laughs> RJ, I'm just going to have a look through the comments and see what we've got here in case anybody wants to say hello. Um, okay, so Steve asked before, I was wondering if you have ever tried the new Magnetome M80 Super 59 heads. If so, what do you think? I personally haven't. Do you know this head, RJ? I, I know about the M80 Super 59 uh, amps, but I haven't had a chance to play any of the, the new Magnetone stuff. Yeah, you're lucky over there. Being in Australia, uh, we don't get much cool gear. Uh, the nearest shop that actually has all the high-end amps is about a 1,000 miles away from where I am. That's how wow. big this place is. Now but do, are there builders and companies in Australia that there is. we don't get, that we don't know about? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, so the first one that popped in my head was MI Audio is the name of a um, uh, of a, a, an amp company over here, Michael Ibrahim. Um, uh -huh. There's a couple of really good guitar builders, Charles Cilia, um, ET Guitars, Ernie Taylor. There's two that straight away fantastic guitars yeah. Wow. Um, yeah so I guess there's a bit of that isn't there that we'd probably have things yeah like here. I have never heard I'm sure I've never heard of the Australian companies and so yeah it's, it's, it's it works both ways <laughs> yeah absolutely okay what else we got in the chat here um, that guitar behind RJ looks awesome oh wow I just had a look myself they're probably talking oh, yeah. about let me just cut to you there it's like a beetle bass looking thing. This one. Hold on. Who's asking this? Was Gabor asking about this? Uh, yes, it was Gabor. Gabor. Okay, so this is a company called Hallmark. And the uh, they basically make copies of, of Moserite guitars. Yep. So like the old sem semi-Mosley guitars from Bakersfield, California. Um so I have this one, which this is the first one. This is actually, uh, it's called a Stradette. Cool. Which is, um, the designer was a guy named Bill Gruggett. And my understanding is he worked for Moserite and then he, he, he left and, and started his own company, I guess, or something. But this was one, one of the crazy designs he came up with. Um, and it's got like this Moserite style uh, vibrato, which I've played, you know, vintage Moserites and it's pretty close you know cool very close so yeah this is one of the most unique guitars that I have yeah, right so what's what's your number one guitar what do you tend to lean on if you're going to go out and play and you can only take one guitar what gets you well, by I I've kind of I've come to terms that I'm a Strat guy yes me too which I started on a Strat. My first guitar is somewhere. I think it's a, it was over there. But um, I still have my first guitar, which is a Japanese Strat. And I just got a new Strat, which is, I don't know if you saw pictures, but it's a, it was a left-handed Strat that I turned upside down because cool. it's my cool. Hendrick Strat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just love um, the way they sound and the way – they're not easy guitars to play, some of them, yeah. you know? yeah. So they make me work. Um, 
which is I was thinking about this the other day is like, you know, um, strats are great. And then once I I moved away for, from strats for a little bit and went to the Les Paul side mm. and, you know, going from a strat to a Les Paul, it's like, oh, man, this, this is great. The, the, the radius is flatter and the the, uh, the the scale length is shorter and the humbuckers are louder. This is great. And then eventually I went back to liking strats because they were harder to play. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but they weren't as refined or, you know, they had they didn't have a flat fingerboard. The scale length was longer. Um, you know, the trim systems can be wonky and everything. Yeah. Yep. But um, there's just something about them that I've always dug, you know. Well, you said your first guitar was a Strat. And I think it's one of those things, whatever your first guitar was really makes a big impact. Now, for me, I'm a skinny guy. And as a teenager... Anytime I tried to play a, a Gibson style guitar, man, that just hurt. It just hurt because <laughs> there was no cutaway at the back. It would dig into my ribs, yeah, you're right. my arm on the top. Um, whereas a Strat, you got those lovely contours and it just fit in. Um, the jack being on top as well, you could sit around and play on the lounge and not be knocking your, your jack yeah. out. So just little ergonomic things like that. And then... Now, just talking to you earlier, it sounds like we weren't to play guitar around the same time. Everybody played strats and super strats. Mm-hmm. Um, In the 80s. Yeah, right, they, right I, up until Guns N' Roses came out, man. Gibson was just like, oh, one of those old 70s kind of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like Fenders at the time were also more affordable, or at least they had a range of instruments, a line that was, you know, affordable for beginners, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I, I feel like when I was a kid, Gibsons were just kind of out of my price range. So I didn't even bother yeah. with them. Yep. There's, so. there's always been a bit of a snubbery, I think about Gibson. They, I think they charge way too much for. Well, yeah. I mean, that's always been the case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now how about amps? Have you got like a, a desert Island amp that you go for, or, um, you just take whatever's there and, and work with it? I kind of, um, yeah, I mean, there there hasn't ever been one amp that was like, oh my god, I love this amp. I, I mean, I guess I haven't really fallen in love with any amps that I've had. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there was one that I used a lot, that I still use, it's a like a Blackface Bassman head. Oh, cool. From the like a '66, I think it is. Yeah. And I tend to go for amps with less knobs, so. Like in my videos, I have a Sir PT100, which is, you know, a mega three-channel amp that has a decent amount of knobs. It's not like a Mesa Boogie or anything, but that's as that's as much as I'll, as I'll go as far as the amount of knobs. Some of my favorite amps is just the volume and a tone, you know, like the old uh, Gibsons or the uh, like the Fender Champs and all that stuff. Yep, yep. And, th- and I'm kind of the same th- way with pedals. Like I almost love pedals that are preset to a sound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like either one knob or no knob at all. You just click it on and like, that's what you get. Yeah. Man, I was lucky enough to have a 52 Telecaster, genuine one, and a 52 Fender Deluxe amp here um, last year sometime. Um, and I had uh, studio legend uh, Louis Shelton come around. He, his first guitar was a 52 Tele, and I had him come over. and We did a bit of an interview. People will find that on my channel if they want to check that out. But... When Louis plugged the 52 Tele into this amp, which did not have many controls on it. Oh, man, that sound. And we yeah. didn't have it mic'd up. It was just the lapel mics that we had and, and bleed. It wasn't until later that I sort of went, 
oh shit, we haven't wiped up the amp. We didn't need to. It just sounds. So- <laughs> oh man. Um, and there has been a few times over the years where friends have come to me and they've bought all these fancy processors or amps that have got way too many knobs and they don't know in their head what a good guitar sound is and it really messes them up. And I often think to myself, man, you need an amp with just a volume and a gain and nothing else. And it's not a bad thing. Just go straight to the sound and play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny um, regarding gear. Like I didn't know... I didn't know what a tube screamer was until college. Okay. And it's funny because like my my friends were buying tube screamers, but they were putting them through their solid state amps and it just sounded awful. Yeah. And like that's a stunt pedal sucks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then I bought one a couple years later and figured out that it sounds best through a tube amp with a little bit of you know, gain on the amp itself yep. or a little push yep. to the amp yep. just to, and, you know, it tightens it up or whatever. So mm-hmm. uh, I think part of learning how to play guitar and before you start going out and buying gear is learning how the gear works, Yeah. Um, which is a whole nother thing. And for me, that didn't really come into play until after college. Okay. I didn't have a pedal board in college. I didn't really have a lot of pedals. I didn't, really i didn't have any tonal knowledge yep. i just bought amps that work that you know were loud enough and blah 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 i didn't know anything about tone yeah until i started getting more into pedals and um you know then the internet came about and we had the gear page and all this stuff yeah. and so that's part i think that's a big part of learning how to play guitar is learning how the gear works absolutely and i think your ear gets more refined the more you play um you mentioned before we started you spied the uh ada mp1 i have back there Uh, yeah and that was my main rig man and i I used one of those through the 90s and people used to comment on my tone back then um and i scored that one maybe about a year ago and tried to set it up and think yeah i'm gonna use one of these again and um when I hooked it up, I kind of realized, oh, I'm hearing things in that that I'm really not liking anymore. It just had a bit of a, a scratchy tone, which I don't recall back then. There might be something wrong with that one. I'll investigate a little further. But one thing I have learned with that is chucking a boost pedal in front of it does wonders. Brings that clarity that I'm missing. Just a, yeah. just a clean boost, just just giving it a little bit in the front end and then backing the gain off in the actual preamp. But Back then in the 90s, I didn't know that. I just went for it and I thought, yeah, that's great. I haven't played too many amps. One Uh, thing that pops into mind, I do remember borrowing an old Marshall JMP head, which, yeah, it's pretty sought after these days, mm -hmm. taking it to rehearsal and the guys in my band telling me, oh, that's a bit of a novelty, but can you use your old rig, your other rig with the ADA? We we think that sounds much better. And in hindsight, you know, like JMP is pretty hard to beat yeah wind that sucker up yeah uh, but i guess tastes change in it's time changed. yeah 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 absolutely i think um you're absolutely right it's, especially for guitarists you know yeah um, different things you know when stevie, yeah everyone started using heavy strings when they heard stevie ray was using heavy strings um when eric johnson came out everyone was turning down their tone on their amps and going for more darker warmer sound yeah. and everything so yeah, yeah. it's going to change again absolutely absolutely now 
In terms of uh, gear in the studio, this is your studio that we're seeing in the background? Yes, this is my control room section. Okay, I don't see much of it. Down in the very corner, I can see it looks like you've got a bit of a, a rack or something that I can just see a corner of down there. Yeah. No, what was what was that you just bought? These are all guitars. <laughs> no, no, all. no, okay. I'm just trying to make out what that is down the bottom there. No, it was a pedal on a stand or something that you just touched. This one? No, no, it was here? the other side. Oh, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Oh, oh, look at this. This is my uh, signature pedal oh. that I just uh, released. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, tell us about your signature pedal. So uh, this is uh, my Sus Mariosa pedal that my friend that uh, runs Mythos Pedals here in uh, Nashville uh, Zach, uh, he, him and I kind of worked on this last year and designed it and we released it at the NAMM show this year. And uh, what it is, and I never get tired of telling the story. So Sus Mariosip is a Filipino uh, slang word, which is a um, contraction of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So it's a, it's a phrase that, you know, our parents would yell at us when okay. we were doing something stupid or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, um, I kind of thought of the phrase first, and then I thought of what I wanted the pedal to be. So since it's three words in one, I wanted three effects in one. Cool. So it's a boost, a clean boost, in front of um, an overdrive, which is uh, a Herculean V2, which is my favorite Mythos overdrive that he makes. It's kind of, it's kind of like a... Uh, it's, I mean, it's not super, super transparent, but it has a lot of clarity that I like. And it can go from low to medium gain. And then at the end, I have a, uh, an echo unit, which I use as a slap delay. But um, as you can see, there's only one slider, which is just for the mix. But we put um, trim pots oh, cool. uh, on the side. So if you want to adjust it to have more repeats or more time, you can. And it's kind of like a set it and forget it type of delay. Nice. So it's not like for, for shoegaze or like ambient people that need to twiddle knobs yeah. it's more for like set it how you want it and then click it on when you need it nice and are, th are these available now uh we're taking pre-orders we started taking pre-orders uh right after nam and um i believe we're still aiming for a march release you know the parts are, are slowly coming in uh from overseas so um but I believe they're in all the boxes, all the components are coming in. So March, I think, is when we start shipping. And I think we have a couple of pre-orders in. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. And where do people get those? Uh, I believe it's mythospedals.com. Cool. Cool. I'm going to have to check out one of those myself. <laughs> and uh, I'll send you one. Nice. Thank you, mate. Best pedal name ever. Lauren Watson Ariel has just said best pedal name ever. I'll just go back through some more of these comments just in case we yeah. missed something here, mate. Uh, just jump back a little now guitar behind RJ. We talked about that crossroads. I think that's in reference to us talking about the eighties and just influential movies, stuff yeah. that was out there. Um, mm -hmm. Arlen Roth, a lot of hair. Taj Farrant. That's the young Australian kid. Okay. I've about. heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard yeah. Of that. Check him out, man. Very mature player. Uh, Gabor saying the only guitar VHS tape I ever bought was a Joe Diorio learn how to play jazz video. It didn't work. <laughs> I cannot play jazz. I was really down on that for many years, but I've come to realize, I, man, that I'm a rock and roll guitar player. 
and there's guys out there that have that jazz knowledge and everything, and they cannot play ACDC the way I, do, I can. So Yeah, it, it works both ways. It does. But also, I feel like the the jazz VHS cassette, cassette tapes back then, mm-hmm. I didn't learn anything off of those cassette tapes either. I think maybe they were just not good teachers Okay, <laughs> through, through VHS tape. Yeah. Like I had a Joe Pass video yeah. that – I don't. I didn't learn anything from that. Yeah, video. Right. you did mention. It was great to see him play. You mentioned like a compilation video of those, which were cheaper. And I had one of those, and it had uh-huh. Tuck Andrus from Tuck and Patty. Ah. And I did learn lick number one off that, where he was doing a walking bass line and sort of doing some, some yeah. chord comping. It's about the only thing that I could play that's remotely in that style. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the budget compilation tape came to the rescue for me on that one. <laughs> Uh, is that an Eastwood on the wall behind you, RJ? The one that shaped... Yeah, we've already looked at that. Hey, guys. Either of you guys use a pedal switcher on your board? I don't, but I intend to. And not on my board. I want to get back into having um, a MIDI switching system and having my pedals back there. I've got a MIDI mm-hmm. switcher lying around here somewhere that I actually bought off Nine Inch Nails. And Nine Inch Nails are one of my oh, favorite wow. bands ever. Uh, if you check out any of their live videos um, that are filmed from on stage, it's in front of the bass player at the time. Um, I'm trying to think of his name. He played for Beck as well. Mental Blank. It's right over there. I'll just grab it. Yeah. I don't uh, I don't use a switcher on my board, so but I, I have switchers. I, one, personally don't like having effects on the floor in smaller gigs where people are going to be spilling gear all over it. So I bought this uh-huh. from Nine Inch Nails. It's still got their markings and everything on it, all their label tapes and everything. You can see it clearly on their on their videos. That's and awesome. I prefer to have things, and I want to get a small rack and have a switcher back behind me. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't use one, but I intend to very shortly. What's your take on that, RJ? So I have a bunch of switching things, but I I just built a, a my big mega pedal board with a Vertex, and we didn't put a switcher on it, um, just because I, since I'm not touring and I'm only in the studio, I don't really need to have MIDI switching capabilities or have presets because I'm just kind of like as he says, I do it all a la carte. Yeah. But I do have everything. Like when I was on tour, I had a Voodoo Labs. Was a GCX switcher, yep. so I had I have a rack, which is crazy, <laughs> which I use as a piece of furniture. It just kind of like I put all my crap on it. It's funny, but um, I do have one of those Boss ES5 switchers, which is um, what I use in the studio. Cool. So I kind of got this from Tim Pierce. So I have multiple pedal boards in my studio, yeah. and I switch the pedal boards through my switcher so i can turn off i can bypass one whole pedal board and just use another pedal board um and or vice versa so it's a it keeps a cleaner signal as opposed to having one huge pedal board yeah yeah. like i kind of have it broken up broken up into three sections cool and now you said es5m is that the one that's got the multi-effects built in right uh no there's no multi-effects it's um it's you can route up to five loops, but then you can have patches and, and do MIDI switching and uh, a bunch of stuff that I, I probably don't 
need to use ever, but <laughs> okay, yeah, but I have it, yeah, and that's yeah. what I use. It's a very, very unique approach there, mate. I'll have to give that a try. Um, yeah. Now, what else we got in the chat room here? Uh, pedal switcher, RJ and Rick. Greetings from North Los Angeles. Hey, Jose. Yay, Jose! Uh, I've seen him in my chat. Now, RJ, whose videos do you like to watch? Gosh, I mean, if I go to my YouTube subscription page, um, you were saying like you don't watch a lot of YouTube guitar YouTubers. Yep. I probably shouldn't watch a lot of guitar YouTubers because I've subscribed to so many. You know, our friends, all basically, I, all of our friends from Forty Two Gear Street. Yep. Um, I mean, I kind of subscribe to all the major, at least the ones that I know, the major guitar YouTubers. So, Paul Davids, um, who else? You know, the the, the big guys, Red Shell, Rick Beato. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, the non-guitar related YouTube stuff I watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey Neistat. Yep. Uh, Pete McKinnon. Yep. Yep. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And his, uh, and Maddie, his, his, his buddy. Okay. I haven't seen him. Um, and then I just, Oh, um, there's a, there's a show called hot ones, which is, um, it's a, a channel called First We Feast, but the show Hot Ones is basically a celebrity uh, interview show. Oh, cool. But the, pr- the premise of it is they have 10 hot wings, and they each go up in level from, like, mild to, like, extreme spicy. And they have to eat a wing, and then they answer the question. And it gets great, you know, after the sixth wing. Cool. Because, like, people won't be able to answer the question. They'll be like... <laughs> So it gets really funny, and and I just saw that they posted Will Ferrell, nice. um, which I'm going to watch probably tonight. But that's like one of my favorite uh, YouTube shows. Cool. Now I'm just checking out some of the videos there again, mate. And uh, so not videos, the comments. Uh, and Mark Holt says, "Need another Jay Leonard Jay Jay Leonard RJ collab, please." Oh yeah, I saw him at the Nam show. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't have time to make a collab, so okay, yeah, maybe the next event. Yeah, he's a fantastic guitar player too, man. He's just got yeah, he's a especially his rhythm chops. Guy. I notice when he's sitting around, and this is something I notice in a lot of players. Ninety percent of the gig is playing rhythm guitar, and one thing mm-hmm. that, that struck my ears about about Jay was um, sitting around and his rhythm chops. I was just like, oh, okay, this guy could sit in that groove like like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I feel like he can play the drums. Yeah, can you play the drums? He's- Yes. Yep. I'm That was I played the drums before I started playing guitar. Okay. Okay. And I think that really comes through in people's playing. Um yeah. if you can lock in and, and play a play the drums well, you know, that, that goes a long way. It, it helps. Uh Gabor's saying Vase Amps. Now that you've probably never heard of Vase. They are an Australian brand from Brisbane. Um, yeah, never even heard of Yeah. Funnily enough I bumped into one of their reps and in an outback airport a year or two ago and um, expressed interest in me doing some stuff for them. I, I should get back in touch. Uh, I have an Australian piece of gear. What have you got? Oh, what is this? Oh, I never play it. Maton, of course. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a great guitar. Yep. Uh, you see those everywhere over here, mate. That's the go-to. Is that the tailor of, uh, of Australia? Yeah. Of Australia? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, my experience 
I don't own an acoustic guitar. And I say that because a really good acoustic guitar is really expensive. And I have several friends that have, and I'm talking Australian money, five, six, seven thousand dollar Taylors, Gibsons, etc. And if I need one of those, I'll just holler and, and grab one of those for the afternoon <laughs> because I don't have that kind of money to be thrown around on a guitar that I'll barely use. But a few years back, I was doing some TV stuff for um, an Australian artist that was signed with Sony, and we got to pick and choose what we used for a lot of TV appearances. And my experience back then was that I really liked the sound of um, Maiden guitars acoustically, and I'm going back yeah, 20 years ago now. I didn't like the pickup systems in them back then. I did prefer the sound of Takamini was the other one that we were getting a lot of. Mm-hmm. I preferred that plugged in, but they sounded terrible acoustically. Not terrible, but when you put them side by side. Um, yeah. Since then, Taylor is, seems to be the, the high-end one that, A, my friend's got this beautiful color Taylor. And man, that just has this whole octave of frequencies down low that other guitars do not have. It's just this insane bottom end. Um, And the pickup systems I I like in those. But uh, it's really nice to see you with an Australian maiden. Yeah. Yeah. I I dig it. Yeah. There is actually a a guy on the Gold Coast here who I was going to get to do a live chat, but I've changed my tune. I'm going to go to his factory. Um, He makes great acoustic guitars. Um, Fennec Guitars, um, fairly new brand, but really, really good acoustics. So okay. I'm going to go and pay him a visit over the next couple of weeks and do a little uh, bit of filming there. But yeah, that's, cool. that's another another cool Australian brand. Um, Gabor also said the Brian May Signature Vox AC30 with only a volume knob and nothing else. Yeah, that's because Brian just turns everything all the way up. RJ, are there any band acts that could tempt you back out on the road? That's a great question, Steve. Um, I think um, if for me, like I tell everyone, you know, if the right call comes in, then I would totally go back on the road. So I'm not like totally retired from the road. Um, Any particular acts, like I say, like, man, if Clapton called me and wanted to, (laughs) me to replace Doyle, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what what my dream gig right now would be. It's, it's. I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, artists that I would love to play with. Um, every, I mean, everything from, like, John Mayer, Bruno Mars, and um, older acts as well, yeah. you know. I love Guns N' Roses. I love, uh, who else? I don't know. I haven't thought about uh, what would be a uh, you know a realistic option now. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I have to. I mean, it's not just about the money. It has to be like musically satisfying to me. You yeah. know. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, you never know, huh? Like what might get offered. I was actually talking to a friend of mine over here. He plays for an artist named Tony Childs. Do you remember her? I'm not sure if she had a hit in the States back around 1990. Um, As the name sounds. Yeah, she, she lives out this way now. I think she's an American artist. But my friend plays guitar for her. And he said he um, sent a couple of emails out, reaching out to some 
bigger acts. One was an Australian act and another was, uh, I'm not going to jinx him and say who it was, but it was a, a big group from the 70s, 80s. And they've mm -hmm. all gotten back to him and said, hey, yeah, man, we've checked you out. You know, if something happens with our player, we'll give you a call. So I think you've got to reach out to some of these people and just let them yeah. know they'll be interested because you never know who, who will say yes. And Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never done that. I'm always too shy. I'm, I just wait. I wait for the calls to come. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Shyness is a hard thing to overcome. Yeah. Like you said, when you first started doing the YouTube thing, that um, it was very hard for you to talk to a camera. Man, I look at my first few videos and I'm just sitting there and I'm yeah. just not going to move because the camera that I had at the time didn't have autofocus and I'm not going to <laughs> move. And uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It takes a while. Uh, Gabor was totally onto the fact that that was your signature pedal that we were trying to work out what the thing was beside you. Yes. Uh, he also says he's happy to realize he's a hack guitarist, but a happy hack. <laughs> oh, he's not a hack. He also knew it was Justin Meldor Johnston that I was talking about That's that right. was standing on this pedal board beside me. Uh, I didn't know he played with Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, big fella Link, who is my friend that I said has the, the really nice Taylor acoustic, says Hot Ones is his mm -hmm. latest addiction. So he's onto that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, a few people there saying Hot Ones is funny. Uh, Tone Talk, that'd be Mark. Nice shirt, Rick. Hey, Mark, I want you on here as a guest soon, mate. So uh, if you're <sighs> up for it, if you're free next week, that'd be cool. Uh, Taylor of Australia. Yeah, Bruno would be perfect. Yeah, he's Filipino, isn't he? Bruno Mars? Uh, I think he's part, yeah. He's like Hawaiian, so most Hawaiians have a little bit of Filipino Oh, okay, in them. okay. Uh, RJ would rock it with Beth Hart. She's a great singer, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Tony Charles is South African. There you go. That's why um, she's probably not a name over in, in the US. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Man, as I said, I don't play that much um especially cover band stuff anymore but when i do get the call to play with the absolutely 80s show it's called and that's the the singers from all these 80s bands um mm -hmm. i'm in heaven i totally am um, it's great yeah yeah i'll quite often look beside me i'll be playing some cool song from the 80s i'll look beside me and i think that's the motherfucker that actually sang it you know and then I'm, I'm playing yeah that's total buzz are these 80s bands from australia they are they are uh, it's a revolving lineup. Um, there's one guy who runs the show from a group called Kids in the Kitchen, which had several hits back in the early 80s. And it's a mm -hmm. bit of a revolving lineup as to singers. And um, it's a great gig to have, man. Great, totally great. Cool. Gig. Yeah. So, Sounds like fun. RJ, I wanted to ask you just about the gear that you use for your YouTubing. Um, sure. I, I asked you about the what you had in the studio there. What are you using to record to? Is it the same rig that you actually do your video editing on as well? Give us a rundown, mate. So when I do all my demo videos, I record all my video and audio separately. So my audio goes, um, I record into Logic, but all of my amps are uh, running through a, a two notes torpedo, okay. which I've had forever. Um, and... That goes into my UAD Apollo mm -hmm. interface, audio interface, and I just go into Logic. Um, and in Logic, that's where, where I make my backing tracks. So I have like, uh, you know, Easy Drummer is my dr drum program, and sometimes I'll program bass. Yeah, it's, it's easy. 
man, the <laughs> selling thing for me was uh, the only when I first started getting into making YouTube videos, Older England was a, a big benchmark for me. And I saw him post mm -hmm. a video about how he did his drums, five minute drums, because I was listening to his stuff going, does this guy take like weeks just to program the drums? Listen to that. And then when I saw this video of how I make my drums in five minutes using Easy Drummer, it was quite literally one of those, hit, take my money. Dragon piece. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Perfect. I'm with you on, on Easy Drummer. I, I use other sound sources afterwards, but just to actually program. Amazing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I basically do all my audio that way. And then my video, I, uh, I just record on my Sony cameras, drag it into Final Cut Pro and, and put it all together. Cool. Cool. So, um... Do you tweak your audio first before you um, sync it to to your video? Yeah, I do all my audio mixing and everything in Logic first, and then I bring everything into uh, Final Cut. Okay, cool. And are you recording separate microphones? Um, now, you said you're using Two Notes Torpedo, yeah? Yeah. So yeah, you're not, so you're not miking amps anymore? I'm not, not miking any amps. I don't really have a space where I can turn them up here yep. and crank them. Yep. So if I'm doing a, an amp demo, like it's, it's a combo amp, then yeah, I have to kind of mic it yep. to, to get it real. Yep. But the only mic I use is my my voice mic, which is an overhead, uh, it's like an Audio-Technica shotgun okay. microphone. Yep. So you, you place that overhead? Yeah, yeah. it's just easier. I, you know, I, I bought a couple lav mics, but they would always get tangled up or sometimes they weren't positioned and they wouldn't sound good. Yeah. With the uh, when it's a boom mic overhead, it's always consistent. Mm. Unless I turn my head, but I try not to do that. Right. But it works great, and I don't have to worry about it. I, I had I did a little shootout myself a couple of weeks ago, mostly for my own sake, uh, because I wanted to see what sounded best and what was easiest workflow. Uh, because as you understand, making your workflow easier is everything to capture mm. inspiration. So I tried some lapel mics. I tried mics on top of the camera I tried an overhead all hooked up at once and just compared the same phrase repeated and yeah the overhead and this thing both sounded really good this is just a sm7 oh yeah um but you don't always want a big chunky microphone in view so yeah, yeah i'm gonna start using the overhead a lot more yeah it's funny because like you can get it really close you know out of and it's still going to be out of frame yeah absolutely yeah i saw colin colin scott uh, guitars channel uh, do a similar thing, and his overhead sounded great. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Now the whole two notes thing. I had been miking things up, um, and I don't. I was using two notes torpedo wall of sound plugin, and I've got a Fryat power station back there. I'm not sure if you. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, which I was using as a load box, but it has a strange issue where it bleeds the direct signal into my monitors. No matter what I've plugged into, I don't know if it's a really strong output, but I do have a two notes Captor X coming. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm very awesome. much looking forward to using that, and um, that should be all you need. Yeah, yeah, and just to be able to um, crank the amps a bit and get them breathing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Once, I'll tell you, I've been I've been recording direct for so many years now that I do miss the sound of. A cabinet vibrating yeah. so i might you know try to mic start miking amps because in my in my studio you know i have like a marshall 412 i have a bunch of combo amps yeah 
And there's something about just having that much vibration of, of the cabinet and the speaker together that you can't, I mean, I guess you can kind of approximate it with the IRs and everything, but it's really when close. it's in the same room, yeah, when it's in the same room as you, that's, that's something. It is, know? it is. It's really close though. Um, the ho- yeah. Using that as opposed to modeling and the likes I've found just my take on modeling and I've, I've had them all. Yeah. They sound great. Just playing it there in the, in the room, if it's going through a cabinet or through your monitors, but it just doesn't sit in a mix the same way as a mic'd up speaker. Um, yeah. And it, my yeah. first experience with Axe Effects when I first got one of those years ago was I could get it sounding great, but if I turned it up to where you could hear what I was playing in the track, it would mask everything else. But if I turned it back to where it should sit in the mix, I just couldn't make out, define what I was playing. And I've found that with most of the modelers I've tried. Mic up a speaker cab and bang, it just sits in the mix. Mm-hmm. I've got a little Vox AC10 just over my shoulder there. Man, that thing sits in a mix like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, but speaker IRs, absolutely the closest thing I, I've come to it. And um, yeah, hard pressed trying to tell a difference there. So that's something. Yeah, that's I think, you me. know, once you, once you mic an amp and then process it through whatever preamp compressor and EQ, it's pretty much close to any kind of IR situation nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now, when you are miking, do you have a preference for mics? Um, I mean, I, I for the longest time I would just throw in a SM57, but uh, I got we, you know, the Lewitt mic is now my mic of choice. You it's too, a little huh? bit, you too, a wider, yeah, it's a wider frequency range than a 57, yeah. so it's just a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, my sister's in the chat. Yeah, I just saw that. I was going to jump to that. She's asking if you've ever been to Australia. I have. You have. Briefly, yeah. so I, I when I started with the uh, my country gig uh, here in Nashville, Thompson Square, we went over to play a country festival in right outside of Sydney. All oh, right, okay. And I was so jet lagged. I think we got in the day before the show, and I was like, I don't even know what day or what time it is. So it's it was all a blur. <laughs> That sounds like when I met you at the airport in Germany, man. I was so jet lagged at that point from the travel time. Yeah, I was just like, "Hey, <laughs> what's going on?" Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. What struck me though, man, and I said to you this before we came on on air was um, how enthused you were. Um, some of the other guys that were at Forty Two Gear Street, they'd been to a few of these events, and they're just like, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever." But you were one of the yeah. guys that were like. Here I am. I remember you had your little gimbal and just everything. You were excited and like, oh, check the out. Uh, much like I was. And it was really, really good to see. Now, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very exciting. I, I asked you about the microphones just before because I too got one of the uh, the Lewitt um, 440s, isn't it? M- MTP yeah, 440. MCT. Yeah. The MTP. Um, and man, that is a great microphone. I too was always a 57 guy. Um, and what I'm finding with that Lewitt microphone, especially with the, the little Vox AC10 back there, is it's got that wide, it captures the detail of the mid-range without being harsh. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's got a nice, sweet mid-range, extended low end. That combined with a ribbon microphone um, is, I, I've been messing with doing a little demo on that AC10 um, mm-hmm. 
uh, while I'm waiting to get myself another amp. And yeah, I've got that sounding really good. No EQ added afterwards. That's something I want to ask you. When you're doing product demos, do you EQ the amp afterwards or do you do it as, as, it's, as it's heard, trying to be true? Oh. Like after you've recorded um, it, do you EQ it in Logic or do you... I do it... it so when I... If I'm do, playing to a backing track, mm -hmm. I'll do a little bit of mixing just to make it uh, pop through in in the mix. Yep. Um, but then when I'm playing it uh, just solo guitar, which is kind of like my, my formula has always been for demos is like first play with a backing track and then play without it and kind of do it a cappella. Oh, yeah. So I mean, I'm not like an engineer by any means, but I, I've i learned some stuff from my engineer friends and they say to boost certain frequencies to get it to pop through the mix. So I might do that. Yep. And But then when I'm just playing solo guitar, I'll back those down so they're not so bright because they don't really need to be because yeah. it's just guitar. So yep. I'll do minimal EQing, um, but that's about it. Cool. Cool. So there is a bit of a debate about that, whether you should be absolutely true to what the amp sounds like or whether you should sweeten it to sit in the mix. Um, I'm a little bit in between and um, been doing a bit of both, much like yourself, and keeping it minimal when I'm making it sit in a track. Um, yeah, exactly. Now, Teresa is saying you guys have family in Sydney. Were you aware of that? We do. Uh, I, I I forgot about that. We have a, what, an uncle and some cousins. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. yeah, we're all over the place. Yeah. Now, Gabor is saying he's, they've been using the Lewitt 440 as well, together with a 57 at Alex Studio. Oh. They actually sound really good together. I'll have to try that. I've been replacing the 57 with the, with the 440. But you can never know with these things. As I said, I've got a, a, a one two, uh, Royer 121 ribbon microphone clone that I got really cheap. And oh, um, right. the, the blend of those two is right up there Love that's kind of like the standard you know the 57 and the the royers so it was the perfect uh mix absolutely absolutely now for anybody out there mate that um is probably new to the whole recording thing what's your what, what's some tips that you could give people um whew. new to the recording thing it kind of depends what you're what you're going to be recording and what your goal is. If you're a guitar player uh, that just wants to kind of come up with basic tracks, um, nowadays, I mean, back when we started with digital recording, you know, it was a lot harder yeah. <laughs> and more expensive. Yep. You know, I remember my first Pro Tools, you know, the digi, the 001 uh, rack thing. And Same here. My Mac would always crash and it, you know, None of my plugins work and all that stuff. So it's a lot easier and it's a lot cheaper to get into home recording these days. You know, you can get an interface for like less than 200 bucks and um, free plugins and free software and everything. So um, as far, it really depends how deep you want to get into it. If you want to start miking amps and experimenting with different preamps and outboard and compressors and all that stuff yep. but for me for my workflow it's a lot easier to work within the box so i have like outboard like preamps and compressors that are in my closet because it's because of the universal audio stuff everything is easier in the box with my presets just bam 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 
Um, but, you know, I've experimented with different interfaces. I just got this uh, IK multimedia interface. Oh, cool. It's kind of made for guitar players, so that's a, a cool one to have. Um, and I don't know. It's just like experiment with, like, the plugins. There's so many guitar plugins nowadays that sound great. There is, isn't there? So, yeah. 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 Cool, cool. Now, RJ, I know you said you only had about an hour or so to kill, mate, so I've gone a little bit over time. If anybody in the chat has any questions before I round things up, speak now or forever. Hold your peace. Um, what else we got here? Gabor is running the chat, looks like. Yeah, he, he's good for that. He's good for that. I think um, I think Gabor's a stay-at-home dad and then works on the weekends as a musician. So whenever I'm doing the chats, he's always in there, which is great. Always nice to have somebody familiar in there. Yeah. It's funny when I do my Saturday morning live stream, he's usually coming back from his gig. Yeah, right. Which is so weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, what time is it there right now? Right now it is 11.20 a.m. Okay. On Friday. That's crazy. So I'm a, okay. ahead of you a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we are from the future. <laughs> Mate, have you got any other events or anything coming up? I mean, you, you said you just went to Nam. We did the forty-two Gear Street. Anything else on the radar? Um, nothing, nothing too exciting in the books yet. You know, in the states, um, we have there's summer Nam here in Nashville that happens in the summer. Is that still I a thing? In, Is that still going? Yeah, it's in, it's in June. Yeah, um, and it's about a fifth the size of of winter nam it's re it's really small yeah. but it's it's cool because it's it's tolerable it's doable it's not as it doesn't uh stress you out as much as winter nam it doesn't take a lot of energy okay. as much energy yeah. um so i'll be doing that just kind of hanging out um i'm actually considering going to a a, a, a summer nam myself you know summer nam is cheaper than winter nam um, and it's just as fun. I think, especially last year, a lot of a lot of the guys came into town. Um, so, like uh, Trey Xavier from Gear Gods, I think was in town. Which um, I don't think I've ever seen him at the at the the Summer Nam before. Um, Ryan Sixty Cycle Hum was in town, and um, so I think it's getting a little bit bigger, and there's a, more people are going because it is cheaper. It's a little bit more i wouldn't say more fun but you know it's right in the heart of nashville cool. nashville's a guitar town it's a music town so it's 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 exciting it's you're not uh staying by a convention center where you only have the convention stuff convention center stuff around you yeah, you yeah. can actually feel the city you know um so yeah i think you should mm, that could be on the cards what do you reckon lauren should we make a bit of a trip over there i see that you're in the in the chat um that would be, yeah, why not go and see a bit of Nashville? And so I, one thing I had at NAM, Winter NAM, was um, I have a bit of a voice issue. When I worked for Apple years ago, I had to talk all day as a trainer mm. without a microphone, and it destroyed my voice. So I lose my voice very easily talking over loud, ambient yeah, noise. Yeah, you lose your voice the first day then. <laughs> oh, man, I went to Melbourne Guitar Show last year, and first day, I was just... Ugh. Um, had every intention of doing a bunch of interviews and stuff. Nah, I couldn't. But um, so Summer Nam, 
I hope I'm getting the summers and the winters right. Nashville Nam. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> it's all backwards to me. Uh, I'm going to call it Nashville Nam. Maybe better being a bit quieter and I could actually get around and um, not lose my voice and be, actually be able to talk to people. Yeah, yeah, I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, I think so. RJ, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great have, having a bit of a chat. Um, I've had quite a few people from 42 Gear Street um, as guests. Some great guitar players like uh, Sammy and Mika. Um, yeah, beasts. Totally, totally. Uh, and yourself now, I have to round up some of the other crew. I had a bit of time off from yeah. doing these over Christmas and then Nam popped up after that. So everyone that I've spoken to is like, oh man, just let me get Nam out of the way. Yeah, uh, and we all got sick. <laughs> that's a thing. That is a thing. Um, Namthrax, anybody that's never been. Everyone got sick this year. It was crazy. Yeah, you can use as much hand sanitizer as you want to, but everyone's playing the same guitar, shaking hands, and man, you just, yeah. I That was the last time I got really sick, a flu kind of way, was when I went to Nam about two years ago. Laid me on my ass, that did. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, a rough one. Yeah. So, uh, actually, I'm just going to check that there's no more questions before we go. Um, Gabor, have you seen the videos Glenn has been has been putting up? The Brainworks Friedman amp plugins, they sound killer. I was editing videos when I got the notification that you guys are live. Um, I heard about the new ones. I just bought the uh, the Dirty Shirley and B100 plugins, so I'm not sure if those are it or if there's new ones, but... Um... I think they're great. Yeah, from what I saw was um, the B one hundred one. They are great. It's not yes. like having the real thing though. It's not like having the real. Oh thing. no! I saw you posted a video recently asking Dave Friedman's advice as to which Friedman was for you. And as yeah. I said, I don't watch. I, I don't watch your videos, so I don't want to get intimidated. Which one did he end up suggesting for you? So the new one, which is a dual Dirty Shirley yeah. called the Twin Sister, yeah. and. Um, I'm I'm waiting for that one because I, I really want that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been really wanting a Friedman app again since selling my, my small box. I kind of thought I'd get another small box, but that actually piqued my interest as well. The the well, yeah. The um, I got into the small box because I borrowed my friends, and I was kind of on the fence about. It. I'm like, maybe should I get this, or maybe I'll get the BE100 Deluxe. And then I didn't know anything about the Dirty Dirty Shirley's, and I got to play through the one uh, at the uh, event, and it sounded just how I wanted the amp to sound. Cool. Kind of beat. It kind of sounded. It had um, characteristics of the small box. Yeah. Um, like when you make it, when you turn it cleaner, it's got that really nice plexus sound. Nice. So I think it's perfect for me. Uh huh. I I actually thought that that was a um a Photoshop mock-up when I first saw it, the, the Twin Sisters. And I thought, uh, oh, hello, someone's been um, messing around here. But it was a real thing, and that really surprised me. And uh, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, just having two of the same amp in one, and you can just tweak it how you want it. Well, that way, when you change the channel, it's not like a completely different sound that's not going to sit in the mix like your other one did, which is always an issue with multi-channel amps. Um, yeah. There's always a bit of a you get something EQ just right on one channel, go to the other. It's just like, oh man, if only this had its own little graphic in there and pull out a bit of this. Yeah. Or... Same thing with amps that have like a a boost or a button. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't sound the 
the same, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, always changes the, the characteristics. Yeah. RJ, again, thank you very much, mate, for, for being on. Um, love to have you back on again uh, if, if you're up for a bit of a chat sometime. Absolutely. We should get the, a bunch of the 42 Gear Street guys and have like a, a huge uh, chat, uh, five-person chat or something. Yeah, why not? Why not? That's actually a great idea, mate. Um, be hard to try and switch between everybody. That's what I need is a, a switcher for Ecamm. Have you seen those? Yeah. You can get, so you can switch between. I'm currently using a mouse and key commands, and I have been known to hit the wrong one and bring up my outro at the wrong time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mid, mid conversation and stuff. So, yeah, a switcher like that would go a long way in being able to facilitate something like that, I think. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Folks, thanks for tuning in and listening to us just talk crap like we do. <laughs> Been a pleasure, my friend, and um, I will see everybody again. Bye now.